0: Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord God, we love you. And I just pray that you will speak through a broken vessel like me. Um, And I just thank you for your word. I thank you for Lydia. I thank you for what this narrative has meant to me. And I just pray that you help me to fade away. As John says that you must increase, I must decrease. And so I just pray that this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So it's been a while since, I've, since uh, we've been here. You saw Leanne and Callie rush in and out and juggling nap time, different things. And I uh, told Leanne, I said, I don't think I could really focus with Callie sitting there asking down, hole up. I, I just couldn't focus, so. But anyway, we, we're doing well. And as everyone knows, we have a little boy coming in September. Um, We're going to name him Hudson after Hudson Taylor, who founded the China Inland Mission uh, to reach the Chinese people for the gospel about 100 years ago, and just lived his life on faith. And it's amazing already when people say, "Oh, what are you going to name him?" "Oh, Hudson," and it just leads into a gospel conversation. So our prayer for him is that he will just have the faith like Hudson Taylor did in reaching the nations for the gospel. So. Um, I still serve on staff part time. Luke beat me to full time, so he he wins in that race. But so I still serve part time. So I lead our young adult ministry that's single and married, twenty two to thirty two, and it's been really special to watch that ministry grow. So we helped start it back in twenty fifteen, and watch it grow and multiply in the small groups and the discipleship groups, and and it's humbling for me to have to train and equip leaders and to not always know what's going on and to have to rely on those those leaders and not hold on to it. But uh, the Lord's been good, and it's a blessing to serve at our, our church. And, um, gotten the, op- the opportunity to preach a couple of times at our Thursday night service. I was on the schedule to do that more before this coronavirus thing hit. Um, and it's humbling that you all streamed those two messages as if you were here on Sunday night. It's humbling to me that the Lord will use a center like me. Um, at the end of this year, I'll be just about halfway done with my master's degree um, So taking the slow and steady approach so trying to always keep my priorities in line my own relationship with the Lord family and School somewhere down in here. So trying to keep that going but the Lord's been good in that Enjoy digging into his word at that deeper level and uh, Helping build those relationships and everything so So why? this passage why act 16 just these couple of verses and in praying through how to and what to preach and the lord really just brought this back to my mind and it, it started about a year and a half ago and working through philippians preparing to teach that and wanting to get a better context of philippians jumping into act 16 when paul's on second missionary journey in philippi and he runs into this lady lydia At the place of prayer on the Sabbath day. And what struck me about Lydia is this stark contrast of her conversion compared to someone like Paul. So, Paul, if you read through the book of Acts, specifically like 8 and 9, you see Paul was Saul and he's running hard after killing Christians. And he was good at it. And he was racing towards the top of Judaism. He says in his letters that, um, I mean, he was a Pharisee of the Pharisee, he was the best of the best. And then, you know, the Damascus Road, he gets struck blind and, and he has an encounter with the risen Savior. You know this, the conversion story. And I love how applicable that is to so many people that are adamantly running away from the Lord and how the Lord just meets them where they're at and they get saved. What's so special about Lydia is Lydia's already in the church. She's already at the place of prayer. She's already at, there on the Sabbath day. Then she hears the gospel and she's saved. And it just broke my heart that I fear in our churches, specifically in the Bible Belt, there are so many people that are sitting there with a false sense of security of their salvation based on their works, based on their church attendance and different things as we'll, as we'll see. And So my prayer in the ministry that I'm called to lead
1: in a lot of ways is I know
0: a lot of these people grew up in church and different things and I pray for the Lydias in quotation marks because those are the ones that can slip under the radar. Those are the ones that can fall by the wayside because they look like Christians. But deep in their heart it's really a workspace salvation. So to start off with a question do we I throw myself in this next year. We live our lives assuming we can obtain salvation based on our works. We know that the Bible teaches that salvation comes through faith alone. The quote R.C. Sproul, justification by faith alone. is his whole mantra, isn't it? And yet we live our lives as if salvation is works based. Instead of seeing Jesus' work on the cross as sufficient, we feel we must earn this salvation based on our performance especially within the church. Lydia's conversion narrative, I believe, was not written for those outside the church, but written for those inside the church. Again, bringing it back to Paul, we can can see how that relates to lost people, how Lydia relates to the lost people that we see inside the church. So the main idea here is that salvation is through Christ alone, not in our good works or our good intentions. And like I said before, my fear is that our churches, and specifically America, is that there are so many people that fear that they're saved or believe that they're saved because they do X, Y, and Z in the name of Jesus. That's works-based salvation. So ask the question again. Do we live our lives assuming we can obtain salvation based on our works? Are we like Lydia? Assuming that we can be saved by our works, and so I should have mentioned before too. In the in the bulletin, I purposely laid out the four points to help you stay along and take notes and different things. Just so hopefully that is a help. Too. So let's go ahead and jump into the text, kind of work through some of the context. So Acts 16, verses 11 through 15 says, "So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace." and the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in the city some days, and on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we stopped, or, I'm sorry, where we supposed there is a place of prayer, and we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God, the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized and her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. So what's happening here? So just prior to this, Paul, Timothy, Silas, and Luke, the author of Acts, they're on their second missionary journey, and the Holy Spirit has stopped them from preaching the gospel in Asia in a place called Bithynia. I I tried to practice these city names before I came here to no avail. Paul had a dream or vision where God tells him to go share the gospel in Macedonia. So the Holy Spirit stops them from going to Asia, leads them to go to Macedonia where Philippi was. So they get there, they come to Philippi, they come upon this place of prayer, and in digging into this, what's so interesting is it, it baffles scholars exactly what this place was. So it wasn't the Jewish tabernacle. It was a place outside of the tabernacle, and there was only women there who appeared to be religious women who just wanted to come together for a place of prayer. So these could be considered the women that, I mean, they were the religious women. I mean, they wanted to come together and pray. There, there was a real interest in these different things. Well, Lydia specifically, not too much is known about her. She's not, not mentioned in too many places. And it's likely that Lydia is a town in Thyatira after which she's named. So some interpreters say that it's a woman from Lydia, names Lydia, that's unclear. Um, so most of your English translations just say Lydia. And she's a seller of purple goods. So purple in the first century was a real expensive color to get. And it's interesting where it comes from. So it's it's very rare because it comes from a very rare fish and it is very expensive and hard to extract. So the people that could afford purple goods were of the upper echelons of society. These were the wealthy, the societal elites. And Lydia not only sold the purple goods, she was likely up there as well. So she was one of the richest people Around, she was very wealthy. So after she saved, church history tells us that the church at Philippi met in her house, which shows that it was rather large, so likely accommodated up to fifty plus people. You see here at the end of the text, it says her household as well, meaning like slaves and kids and different things like that. Um, Some scholars believe she's likely a widow. There's no husband mentioned, so she ran. Family business. So for a woman in the first century, that was huge. So for her to be able to step up and leave that was huge. So here's a woman who, from all appearances' sake, pulled herself up by her bootstraps, had everything she ever needed, yet we'll see later, that wasn't necessarily true. All these things are important to help us better better understand who Lydia was and different things that she had going on. But in working through this text, it gives us Four main lessons that we can learn from her, and these four main lessons help us answer the question: Do we live our lives assuming we can obtain salvation based on our works? Are we like Lydia, assuming we are saved by those works? So, point number one: attending church on Sundays can't save you. You look at verses twelve and thirteen. Luke says, and then from there to Philippi which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in the city some days. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the Riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. So here they find these women together on the Sabbath day praying. This, like I mentioned, this was not a Jewish synagogue. it was a gathering of these religious women. And a modern day interpretation of this is Paul found them in the church was these women who were there gathering faithfully together. Yet, as we see, that wasn't enough to save them. Attending weekly worship gatherings are very important. Um, you know, Our church, we haven't met since March 8th, and we likely won't meet until July. Uh, with roughly 1,200 people on a Sunday, um, it's just hard to be able to get everybody together from the different guidelines. And... And I miss that weekly gathering. I miss that coming together. And Pete talked about the fellowship and that John MacArthur was mentioning specifically. I miss that fellowship. We watch the services online and try to have Zoom meetings and different things. So it's not the same. We miss that fellowship coming together. And that's not to be taken for granted. But that's not, salvation is not found there. Church attendance, church membership in and of itself can't save you and make you right with God. Um, I work with a guy named Kevin. Kevin's a little bit older than me, and and when I work through this, Kevin always comes up to my mind because about a year ago, Kevin was working through a divorce. His sales weren't where they needed to be, and he said, oh, "I need to get back in church. I need to get back in church," as in getting back into church was going to get his life back on track. What he does, he goes a couple of times. <laughs> And all of a sudden, Kevin has a new girlfriend. Kevin wins Rookie of the Year Award in sales and all these different things. Kevin has no use for church anymore. There's this sense that I have checked off what I need to with God because I've come to church. I've got what I deserve. I get my get-out-of-hell free card. I get my blessings. I'm good. But when those blessings run out, I owe God again. I'm coming back in. and And then I'll go back out again. Believe we work with people we serve with people we sometimes can minister with people who if they're honest with themselves place their hope on their church attendance and church membership as a means of salvation they use it as a course correction in trying to get get out of hell free card get their blessings get whatever they feel that that they deserve um, and in, this morning when I was working through this school of the Lord brings different things back to your mind I remember as a small kid, Sitting back here in Grumpus class, and talking about a church up in New York, and how it was a small church, but yet their church membership roster was huge. And so they started calling people and saying, "Hey, we're gonna we're gonna remove you. You haven't been here in so many years." Oh no 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 no! You can't do that. I, I'm a devoted member. Different things. And when it came time to vote on the issues, well, they came right there. When it came time to serve and actually show up, didn't it, their hope was placed in there church attendance in their church membership. And that wasn't enough to save you. As you see, with she wasn't saved until she heard the gospel, received the gospel. We don't know people's hearts, but we see a picture of their hearts depicted here in the text. No matter what your intentions, just showing up the church doesn't save you. Being in church, being around Christians, being around pastors, Having a Bible knowledge is not enough to save you. It's putting your faith in Christ alone and what He's done for you. That will save you. This first lesson from Lydia may seem kind of obvious, but, well, yeah, we know that. But across the board, it applies to so many people that see that as their Mm -hmm. way of getting in to God's good graces. Number two, your money and social status cannot save you. I think living in a COVID-19 world where the economy just went down overnight. Um, more people realize this now than probably in the last few years, but,
1: but Lydia was a
0: seller of purple goods. She was one of the richest people around. She had all the money she could ever need. And in the first century, social status was everything. So, in America, we like to think no matter how you're born, um, if you work hard and you get your education, you can change your social status. In the first century Jewish culture, wherever you were born, likely that was where you stayed, unless someone showed extreme favor or grace to you. So, Lydia not only had it set for her, she had her kids, and that was setting a great financial legacy for all of her kids and her family. Yet, her finances and her financial state was not enough to. Save her. Now, pausing here for just a second. Whenever money comes up, this is what I'm teaching it, 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 always, it always brings back to my mind the false teachers, the health, wealth, and prosperity, gospel and different things. And, and we may know that that's false. And by the way, Netflix just came out with a, putting a documentary on called The American Gospel, Christ Alone, just came out the other day. We rented it a couple of months ago and it talks about how this false gospel is spreading through America and these different evangelists and different things. Um, and Benny Hinn's nephew, who actually worked for him, got saved, wrote a book and all these. So it's really cool. I encourage you to check it out. Side note. But the whole point of it was here's people that say for a thousand dollars, I'll hit you with my suit jacket four or five times, you are saved. All the money, you need, everything's great. Well, we know that that's heresy. We know that's not what the Bible teaches. Yet, how often do we see our financial success, our house, our cars, our income, our business dealings, our promotion, our 401k as our hope for the future? We put our hope in these things over the Lord. These things, in and of themselves, are by no means bad. They're good. We're called to provide and be good stewards. But it's when that is where our hope lies, is where it becomes a sinful issue. Luke 12, 16-21, um, Jesus talking. And, and he told them another parable saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger. There I will store all my grains and my goods. And I will say my soul. Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, "Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be?" So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. The man kept building a more and more comfortable life for himself. That was his goal: was to continually building, 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 and he dies. Um, Yet his treasure was only what he built up on earth. About a year ago, sitting at a retirement party at work, a guy that worked there 30-something years, and some of these, say old-timers, or many at least, they've been there forever, and they say, oh, you remember when so-and-so retired? Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, he died a couple years after you. Yeah, oh, he only made it a year. Oh, yeah. And there was this pattern of people that quickly died after they retired. And this and this parable came back to mind of people that, and I don't know those people's heart, but how they worked and worked and worked and worked and worked, and worked to retire and Duh. their hope was in their stuff. Their hope was in their material <clears throat> things. It wasn't enough to save them. Jesus' point in Luke is the same as Jesus' point in Acts. That no matter how much money we have, Not saved, as we see with Lydia. She had looking at the cultural context, all the money she could ever need, yet it wasn't enough to save her. Jesus drives this point home in Matthew 6:24. He says, No one can serve two masters, for he that either he will hate the one and love the other, Mm -hmm. or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And I love this verse. Because it, it paints the picture of two distinct things. You have God and you have money. And they're both called masters. You can't serve them both. Because there's something about God and there's something about money that both demand your worship, your time, your attention, your devotion. You can't serve both. The world we live in, the society we live in, tells us that Need to run after money. Money brings you happiness. Money brings you joy. Money brings you all these different things. God's word says we need to run after the Lord, put our hope in the Lord, not in our money. And so living in the world, these things constantly clash. One fully satisfies, one leads you empty. One is obedient to God, one isn't. One gives you hope, one doesn't. This passage about Lydia or anywhere else, again, doesn't condemn saving for the future, investing your money. All those are great things. But when your hope is in those of the Lord, that is where you get his fingers here. And I'm speaking to myself who makes a living on sales and makes a living on commission. And it it is a high. when you Get that sale. I had a sale this past week. I had to work for it. I mean, I had to wiggle and work on a price and haggle and go through it and beat out this guy. It's high to get that sale. But I have to constantly come back to Matthew 6.24. Lord, help me to serve you, not to serve money. I want my children to be provided for, yet how, the best way I can provide for them is to point them to the Lord. I want to buy a nice house. Well, I can stay in a smaller house if it means that I'm so sitting in front of my family. It's this constant battle. So I'm not standing up here as someone who has perfected this by any means. I'm teaching this to you as the Lord is teaching it to me. That we do not serve both Amen. God and money. Exactly. And brothers and sisters, money can't save you. Only Christ can do that. Our hope is not in our retirement or the rise and fall of the economy, but rather in Christ alone. Point number three: being a worshiper of God. Cannot save you. And I purposely phrase this this way because it's what the text says. If you look at verses right in the middle of verse 14, Lydia is being described who was a worshiper of God. Then immediately after, next sentence, the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. Point number four. But point number three being a worshiper of God cannot save you. This one's the toughest one to wrestle with. Because it's hard to understand, what does the text mean by a worshiper of God? A worshiper of God is someone who sees that there is a God, recognizes there's a God, understands that there is this need for salvation. They might even be the best church members; they might serve at all the different events, yet they don't have God to Christ. Put it another way: they look like a Christian, they talk like a Christian, they act like a Christian, but there's no Christ in Christian. It is a painful reality to accept and look at that there's people like that, but we see that here in Scripture. You see Lydia at the place of prayer at, on the Sabbath day, yet she wasn't saved till she heard the gospel. Turn Paul, and the Lord opened her heart. The Lord opened her heart. Lydia is described as being a worshiper of God. She's a religious person, and no relationship with Jesus. The so Lord opened Peter um, alluded to this passage, Matthew 7, 21-23, and it gives us a glimpse into those that are worshipers of God. Jesus, on the Sermon of the Mount, talking about the end times, Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father, who is in heaven, being accepting the gospel through the one. On that day many will say to me, Lord, Lord, do we not prophesy in your name? Do we not cast out demons in your name? Do we not do mighty works in your name? Did I not leave BBS in your name? did um, I say back that, Do I not serve on committees in your name? Did I not do this here? Was I not the first there? Did I not do this? I do this. And I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, workers of lawlessness. Other translations, you workers of me. Some will say they did all these things in Jesus' name. But they didn't do the will of the Father by accepting Christ in their life. If they're being honest, they did them as a means to earn salvation. They didn't do them out of overflowing love for the Savior. Their end is that God never knew them. scary part about the worshipers of God, and the scariest part about this text, is that it's hard, to, it's hard to know who the worshipers of God, in quotations, are because they act like Christians, look like Christians, talk like Christians. And that is why I see it as someone who's called the ministry that my job is to preach the gospel, to sow the seed in Mark 4, and leave the rest up to the Lord as we'll see here in just a second. So, Dear friends, don't ever assume that someone is saved. Our job there is to preach the gospel. Um, Paul Washer, who's an evangelist, in that documentary, The American Gospel, he talks about how he was asked to speak at a Christian conference. And they said, so, uh, what are, Paul, what are you gonna preach on? He said, well, I'm gonna come in and just preach the gospel. He said, well, you don't need to do that. Like, everybody here's already saved. He said, yeah, exactly. <laughs> he says come in and preach the gospel because the gospel isn't just for those that are saved it's those that are, are being saved that are being sanctified quote j.d. greer sbc president he says the gospel is the batting board into the pool of christianity it's the pool itself dig further into because this whole book from genesis Amen. to revelation right points towards Christ from one end to the other, either pointing to Christ pointing back towards Christ. But so Jesus on the road to Emmaus opens up their minds and hearts to the disciples and says the, the law of Moses and the prophet revealed that it was all about me. And the first thing seminary teaches you about, it's called hermeneutics, how to understand and interpret scripture, is it's all about Jesus. It all comes back to the gospel. So I say that in that, we never know who's saved. We never know who's not. It's not our job to judge. It's our job just to be faithful and share the gospel, to proclaim the good news, as Paul says in Romans 10. So these worshipers of God, pray for them and know that no one is too far gone. To, to, to quote John Piper, now I've listened to a sermon in his a while back, and he was talking about these kids. He said, I, he has four sons and a daughter. And he said, I know one of my sons isn't saved and is running hard after the Lord. So my prayer for him every single day is, Lord, know he's not too far gone to be saved. And even if you have to take my life, do it. That means he is saved. So these worshipers of God, those running after the Lord, those not continuing to share the gospel. Anyway, point number four. Probably the biggest, most important point of this whole sermon is salvation belongs to the Lord, verses 14 and 15. Come towards the end of 14. So, Lydia, described as being a worshiper of God, the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized and her household as well, she urged us, saying, You have judged me to be faithful to the Lord. Come into my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. Lydia was all of these things listed. She had the money, she was attending church, she was a worshiper of God, yet she wasn't saved to the Lord in her heart. And someone who likes control, that's hard for me. Because I have an almost two-year-old that I know that she's born of the same nature. I know that she's dead in her trespasses and sins. I don't want to see her. But I can't. It's the Lord that opens the heart. And at the same time, there's a level of huh that comes with that, that Lord, I just pray that you continue work on her heart. and my job is to point her towards Christ as long as she's mine. Only God can save people. We are incapable of saving ourselves or others. That is the flaw with workspace righteousness, is that it is saying, I can save myself by doing X, Y, and Z. If I just serve in the church, if I just do this, if I just show up here, if I just give money, if I just do this, I can save myself. I'm trying to make yourself your own God. And that is the difference between biblical Christianity and all other world religions. All the world religions say if you come and do this, 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 you've earned salvation. Biblical Christianity says Jesus did this. Amen. Put your faith in him, you have salvation. <clears throat> when Lydia heard the truth of the gospel and the Lord opened her heart, she got saved and she got baptized immediately. She then took that gospel to her household. They got saved, got baptized immediately. She then urges Paul and those that are with him to stay in her home because of our newfound faith. That's what she <clears throat> prevailed upon. The that. She said, if you found me worthy, Because look, look what the Lord's done in my life. Come into my house, use my house, use these different things. So Lydia went from being a cultural Christian, relying on her works, to being a true Christian, relying on what God had done for her. And those works were the outpouring of her changed heart. They weren't to earn her changed heart. I just finished the class on New Testament. So it was Acts through Revelation. So we had to read all of it and a whole bunch of other stuff. And coming to Revelation 20, when John sees the end of time and is looking out, and he gets a depiction of what the times will be, he has a vision of what the end times will be. He says he sees everybody standing in front of God. God is sitting there and there's books of with every deed everyone has ever done recorded there. And he said, it's only those that have, that their names are in the Lamb's Book of Life that are saved. And in, in digging through this and looking through it, um, I found another Piper quote. And in talking through this passage, he says, think about it like this. The instant you die and you stand before God, God says, why should I let you into heaven? What have you done to deserve heaven? And if you say, well, Lord, I was at church every Sunday. I tithe 15%. I did this. 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 God says, I see that. But also see over here, Name is not written in the lamps of the life. Part from me. Workers of iniquity. Workers of lawlessness. He said, Or you stand before God after you die. He says, Why should I let you into heaven? You say, You shouldn't. I have done terrible things, but you love me enough to send your son your son for bore those sins on the cross and died for me. I, out of your grace, put my hope and faith and trust in you. God says, well done. Good faithful servant. you got to see, Piper does it a lot better. He does a lot more hand motions. Right? <laughs> so, in wrapping this up, what all this really boils down to, works, based salvation, Lord opening the heart, these different things these different lies that can't save you, is we really have an incorrect view of sin. We view sin through man's eyes, not God's eyes. So what I mean by this is we're naturally competitive. We naturally compare ourselves. Because our standard of good is, is because we think we've done less bad things than this person. Well, I don't rape, steal, and kill. I'm good. Or I'm not this person, oh, you know what they do? I'm good. God's eyes. God says, I am perfect, holy, righteous, and just. Any sin at all is an abomination to me. God says, You might have only sinned one time. It was taking that pencil in third grade when you weren't supposed to, or whatever it may be. Because of that, I can't allow you into heaven because it pains my holiness, my per my justice. But sent Jesus to take your place on the cross. Our natural tendency is to see ourselves as and deserving of heaven because of what we do, or in some cases, don't do. The true gospel blows all this away. It says that all of sin are watched over the glory of God. In Romans 10, all you have to do is believe in your heart, Fess with your mouth, believe in your heart, and you are saved. That's it. So, asking the question again, are we like Olivia, assuming that we can be saved by our good works? Do we have our eternal hope in anything other than Jesus? And the gospel has been through this whole sermon, but I encourage you that if you have not accepted Christ to, to do so, Jesus loved you so much that he died for you and what I tell our young adults all the time is um, you know most of them some aren't married so it's funny to like sit back with someone who is married and they all like uh, the married people are kind of slobs I don't care much what they look like if people aren't married they, they look nice like my jacket has a rent going if I don't care if they, they all look really nice different things I said you know there's no shame in walking up here and talking about your salvation, accepting Christ in front of everybody, if you're worried about what people might think, the shame is sitting there not doing anything about it. So I say that as, I love you. And I say that as in, you know, I'm not trying to condemn any, this church, any other church, I'm just trying to teach what the Bible says. And you know, your pastor loves you, I know he loves to talk to you as well. So, as we go on through the week, as things open back up, come to different restaurants, different things, remember, Lydia, you come across these co workers and you see that workspace kind of salvation. The secret to it is just sharing the gospel. The only hope is the gospel. And we trust the Lord to open their hearts. Mm-hmm. Let me pray. And then we'll, uh, Lord Jesus, we love you. We thank you for this. time I thank you for speaking through me. I thank you just for the loved ones here. I just pray that anyone here doesn't know you, anyone that's listening later, however that may be, I just pray that you will open their hearts and work through their hearts today. We love you, Lord, and just thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen.